Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. When Daniel's visions had come to an end, and when his life and his book had finished being penned, that Son of Man had still not come for them. For as the visions promised, God's kingdom would come long after Daniel and his friends. It would come after the Persians, Medes, Greeks, and Babylonians. For even though Israel was back in their land, they were still waiting for their Savior. They were still waiting for the Son of Man. He would not reach his goal through furnaces, lion's dens, or amassing armies and gold. Instead, he would transform a cross into his throne. Good morning, good morning. How are you guys doing today? I love to hear it. Can you guys help me thank the worship team for leading us this morning and Pastor John for leading communion? It was an awesome, awesome time of just communion with the Lord. Welcome to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemi. I want to thank you all for joining us in person. If you're, if you're new, we're so grateful you're with us. If you're joining us online today, thanks for joining us online. It's, it's great to have you. We are in a series titled Life in the End where we are studying the book of Daniel. And we broke this series down into two seasons. The first six chapters talked about Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their time in Babylon. And now we're in the second half of the book of Daniel, which is apocalyptic literature or visions of the future, visions of the end. And today we are going to talk about one of the greatest prophecies of all time. If you were here with us last week, I ended the sermon by pointing out that, hey, Daniel 9 has the greatest prophecy of all time. And then I didn't tell you what it was. So you're welcome. I'm glad you guys came back today, though, because today we're going to explore that prophecy. I'm going to warn you up front. Today's sermon is more like a lecture, okay? I know no one likes lectures. I just don't know how else to teach this, this passage. This passage is very hard. So if you like to learn, and here's the thing. We don't just learn so that we could be smart and, you know, bobblehead Christians who know a lot but don't have a big heart. We want what we know and what we learn and the truth about God to sink down into our hearts and affect the way that we live, affect our hands. So Jesus is concerned about your head, your heart, your hands, the whole Christian. And so sometimes we have passages that are really aimed at the heart. Other times we have passages that are really aimed at the head. And if you feed both, then it impacts your entire life and you are a whole complete Christian. Can I get an amen? So with that in mind, we don't shy away from hard passages. Now, this is a passage today you're not going to hear preached very often. Uh, you probably have never heard it preached before. And, 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 and you're going to see why in just a moment. It's not an easy one, but I want to encourage you, try to hang in there today. You guys have done amazing so far through this series, but we just happen to stumble upon the hardest passage in like the entire Bible today. Okay, so that's what you're in for today. Now, this prophecy, uh, I want to just say a couple things about it. It is the greatest prophecy of all time, okay? Uh, various commentators call it the backbone of prophecy. What's crazy about the Bible is that a quarter of the Bible is predictive prophecy. And, and the Bible alone is the only religious text on the planet 
that contains hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about things in the future, and all of those prophecies come true. Everything that has promised, was promised about Jesus actually happened. There are still prophecies we're waiting for at the return of Jesus. Those things will actually happen. There is no other religious text on the planet that makes predictive prophecies about the future and then sees those prophecies fulfilled. You won't find it in the Quran. You won't find it in the Book of Mormon. You won't find it in the literature of, of Hinduism. You will find it nowhere else except for Scripture alone. That's why we love the Bible. Can I get an amen? We love studying the Bible. This is a, this is a very special book, one-of-a-kind book. And the passage today, crazy prof prophecy. Uh, another commentator, Leopold, says that this is the greatest of all time prophecies. Uh, and another commentator, that was Ironside actually, Leopold says, the verses of this chapter unroll a panorama of history that is without parallel even in the sacred scriptures. That's what we're going to be talking about today. This is, this is a one-of-a-kind prophecy. And uh, Philip Newell says that this is the greatest chapter in the book of Daniel, Daniel and one of the greatest of the entire Bible. In fact, Sir Isaac Newton, the famous mathematician, believed that we could stake the whole truth of Christianity on this one prophecy alone. Today's sermon is titled, The Gope. The greatest of all prophecies, the gope. I'm going to trademark that, by the way. Um, not really. Okay, let's pray, though. We need to pray, and we need to jump into this thing. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I just want to thank you again for a time to remember communion, the reconciliation that your son Jesus brought to us sinners in need of grace. I want to thank you for the way that you pick us up out of the pit of despair and sin, and you put us back on solid ground, and you give us hope, you give us a future. And now, Lord, as we look into the future, remind us today that you are in control. You are driving history. We might, may look at the news and wonder what is going on, who's in control, what's happening, how do we get these things to stop, but God, you know what you're doing. And all of history is heading in the direction that you plan for it to go. And so I pray that we would just sit back and be in awe of you. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Now last week we learned that Daniel received a prophecy, an amazing prophecy, after an evening of prayer and of worship. He was studying the sacred scriptures through the prophet Jeremiah, reading that text, when he was met by the angel Gabriel, and this is what it says, Daniel 9, says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, the angel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me swift in flight at the same time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. That's what we remembered last week. Doesn't matter what we're going through. Doesn't matter how hard things are. Daniel was living through the hardest season of his life. He was in exile in Babylon. He was talking with the Lord. He was confused about his events, but, but he was still greatly loved. And if you belong to Jesus, so are you. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now, Gabriel is probably the most admired angel in the Bible. Although there are millions of angels 
Uh, there are only two that are named in Scripture, Gabriel and Michael, and both of them show up in the book of Daniel. Gabriel is known, though, for delivering very important news because 500 years after Daniel, it was Gabriel who told Mary that she would give birth to Jesus Christ the Messiah. It was also Gabriel who visited Zechariah in the temple when he was praying and said, hey, your prayers have been answered and that he, him and his wife were going to give birth to John the Baptist. So Gabriel is a very big deal in the Bible. And Gabriel brings God's answer to Daniel's prayer by pointing Daniel to the future. He says, you want to know what's going to happen? Well, let me, let me just tell you what's about to happen, what's happening for your people, and what's going to be happening in the last days. He gives this crazy prophecy. Okay, it's only a few verses, but you're going to see why this prophecy is so hard the moment I read it. You guys ready for this? This is what Gabriel says. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That's our passage this morning. I hated studying this passage this week. Not because I, I love God's word, but because how do you explain that in a 40-minute sermon? Now, you guys have probably noticed my sermons have gotten a little long on this half of Daniel. And, and this is why. We have some really challenging passages to explore. So I'm going to make this as fast as I can, try to fit it into a 40-minute sermon. I'm very excited about it, but this is some complicated, crazy stuff. So uh, this highly co complex, starting, startlingly accurate prophecy provides a detailed look into Israel's future and the last days. Okay, that's what this prophecy is all about. Israel's future and the last days. And so I want to break this down and make it a little simpler. I want to begin, though, with the numbers of the prophecy. The numbers of the prophecy. Now, we've already seen quite a few prophetic numbers in the book of Daniel. We were introduced to the 70 years which is the length of Babylonian exile, which Jeremiah promised. We were also introduced to the 2300 mornings and evenings, which was about Antiochus Epiphanes, a type of antichrist who was the Hitler of the ancient world. You guys remember this guy? He came upon Jerusalem. He desecrated the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar. He set up Zeus. He burned the Bible. He killed 80,000 Jews, and he, he sold another 40,000 into, into slavery. He was the, a picture of the Antichrist to come. He desolated the temple, and that would happen for 23 mornings and evenings. The other uh, number we got was three and a half years. Daniel said this in Daniel chapter 7, where he said that there, there would be a time, times, and half a time. A time is one year, 
times is two years, half a time is a half a year, three and a half years where the Antichrist would rule and reign and wage war on the saints for three and a half years, the second half of the seven-year tribulation. So these are some of the numbers we've already been introduced to in the book of Daniel. Daniel cares a lot about numbers. His prophecies often contain numbers. Now, today, we have a very, another very important number, and that is the 70 weeks prophecy. 70 weeks. Look at again what, what, the, what Gabriel the angel says. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now, this prophecy provides the time frame of the coming Messiah. Was, was Messiah yet on the scene during this time when Daniel was in Babylon? Was Messiah there yet? No, the people of Israel, they were in a foreign land. They were exiled. They were still waiting for Messiah, a hope who would come and make all things right. Well, this prophecy is about his coming. But it's about not only his first coming, it's also about his second coming. So we learn a little bit about what's going to happen before he comes the first time. And then we also get a picture of a later date where he'll come again the second time. And to the, with this prophecy, there are two mistakes readers tend to make with this prophecy. Two things that need clarifying. The first is this. What is a week? That's an important question. What is a week? Well, week in Hebrew actually just equals seven. Okay, another way to translate this text is that the, the, the word week can just mean seven. The word week is the Hebrew word shabua. Shabua is just a period of seven. So if I told you that I was going to go buy a dozen donuts, how many donuts am I going to buy? Twelve. You guys know that because that's how we talk here. Now, if you were a, a Jew in, G, in Daniel's time and you said a dozen, he might not know exactly what you're talking about. But Jews understood a week simply to mean seven. I'll give you an example of this uh, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 25.8, talking about the year of Jubilee. You shall count seven weeks of years. You see that? So there, there are seven sevens. Seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. So seven times seven equals 49. So here in this text, when Daniel talks about 70 weeks, he's actually just talking about 70 sevens or 70 times seven. So the total length of this prophecy is 70 times seven. Seven. Another way that we misread this prophecy is how we understand years. So the question is this, what is a year? What's a year? Now, if I ask you what a year is, you're going to say, well, a year is 365 days. But that's because we go by a solar calendar. Jews, Babylonians, they didn't use a solar calendar. We have a solar calendar of 365 days and a leap year every four years. Jews, Babylonians, they worked off of a lunar calendar, which contained 360 days. Did I say years, or did, should I, I? I don't know what I said there. 365 days is our calendar. The Jewish calendar is 360 days. 360 days in a year. That's why Easter changes every year. Have you guys wondered that? Like, why is the Easter date always changing? That's because they go off of a lunar calendar and Easter lands the first Sunday after the Paschal moon. Now, this is important because even the exact number of days matter in this prophecy. You can't use our calendar to calculate this prophecy. You must use their calendar. So the total length of the prophecy is 70 times 7, which equals 490 years. Okay, so you guys tracking so far? 
I told you this is, this, this is some crazy stuff. It's going to get harder. So hang in there. 70 times 7, 490 years. When Daniel says, when, when Gabriel says 70 weeks, this is what he's talking about. 490 years. But then he also breaks those weeks down into three subunits of seven weeks, which equals 49 years, or seven times seven. Then the next one is 62 weeks, which is 62 times seven, 434 years. And then the last one is one week, or one times seven, which is seven years. So it's a 490-year prophecy broken down into three segments, 49 years, 434 years, and seven years. And the big idea about this prophecy is that God has huge, magnificent, mind-blowing plans for this 490-year period. Now, don't worry. I will show you a graphic in just a moment. But before we do that, let's talk really quickly about the message of this prophecy. I'm going to hit these really quickly. What is the prophecy's message? Well, we read that six incredible things are supposed to happen during this 490-year period. We'll hit them quickly. This is what he says. 70 weeks, or 490 years, are decreed about your people and your holy city. And now we see six things that are going to happen. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Six things are going to happen during this 490 years. Now, some of these items out of these six have been partially fulfilled at Jesus' first coming, but all of these items will be perfectly fulfilled at Jesus' second coming. So let's look at each one really quickly. Number one, to finish transgression. This is the first and most important item on the list. This means that sin will come under control, will no longer grow and flourish. Sin will be finished. Think back to Jesus on the cross. What did Jesus, one of his last words that he said on the cross, it is what? It is finished. And so this is already partially fulfilled through Jesus' first coming because Jesus did away with sin for those who believe. So if you believe in Jesus today, your sin has already been dealt with. It is finished. What Jesus did was, in fact, enough. But you're also waiting for a future day where you will see him face to face and sin will be no more in your life at all. Can I get an amen? Okay, so this was partially fulfilled at the cross, and it'll be fully fulfilled when you see Jesus face to face. Number two is to put an end to sin, and this phrase points to a time when sin will be judged and sin will be eliminated. And for believers, once again, this happened at the cross. Our sin was dealt with, paid in full. Jesus took on our judgment for sin. We've been washed white as snow, but once again, we're still waiting a future day where sin is judged and sin no longer exists in the world. Number three, to atone for iniquity. Atonement has to do with covering sin, and atonement in the Bible always requires blood. In the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, blood was sprinkled over the mercy seat in the temple, depicting that the sin of the people was forgiven because it was covered by the blood. Well, this is a statement about the reconciliation that Messiah will bring. Twice, Gabriel mentions an anointed one. Do you know what anointed one is in Hebrew? How to say anointed one in Hebrew? Anyone want to guess? Messiah. The word Messiah is anointed one. And so if you read this Daniel text 
in Hebrew, you wouldn't actually see anointed one. You would just see the word Messiah. Twice, Gabriel mentions a Messiah who will come and reconcile people back to God, but he will be cut off, Gabriel says. And in, in, in Hebrew, to be cut off, that, that, that word actually means he'll be given a, a death sentence, which we know to be true about Jesus. Jesus, his blood was shed. He was sentenced to death, and his blood covers sin and reconciles people back to God. So that's the third thing that will happen, and that has already partially happened with Jesus. Number four is to bring in everlasting righteousness. This signifies an era of righteousness on earth, and this is one that we are still waiting for today. Now, now Jesus is in fact our righteousness, so when we trust in him, our sin goes to him. His righteousness comes to us, so you are in fact righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus. But when you look at this world and when you turn on the news, do you see righteousness reigning on earth? No. But one day it will. One day righteousness will reign. Sin will be done with. All wickedness will be gone. Everything that we hate about this world, war, injustice, conflict, will be done away with. No more brokenness, no more crying, no more anger, no more malice, just shalom. The Old Testament uses the word shalom, peace, wholeness. And this will happen when Jesus establishes a new heaven and a new earth upon his second coming. So that is the, the, the fourth promise. No, the fifth is to seal up vision and profit. Now, this is to, to seal here means to close up a document. And so these words refer, refer to a time in the future when all prophecy will be fulfilled. Has all prophecy been fulfilled yet? No. So this hasn't been sealed yet. So this is something that we are still waiting for. We are still waiting for that moment when Jesus comes back. All prophecy is fulfilled. Prophecy is no longer just a promise in the future. It is an absolute reality. And finally, number six, to anoint a most holy place. The most holy place here usually is a reference to the holy of holies, the innermost part of the temple. Okay, this may be a reference to a future Jer Jerusalem that, that, will, uh, that Jesus will come and enter into and anoint with his power and presence. Or this may be a reference to God's people, the church, because the New Testament says that we, as God's people, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus resides in you, you carry his anointing. You are, in fact, anointed by Jesus. Did you know that? If you belong to him, you have his anointing. So we don't know if this is a, a physical thing that's going to happen with a, a, a permanent temple or if this is something future for the church. But the big idea is this. Within this 490 years, all of these things will be fulfilled. You guys tracking so far? Now let's look at number three, the meaning of the prophecy. So you guys saw the numbers. You guys saw the message. Now let's get into the nitty-gritty part of it, the meaning of the prophecy. This is what Gabriel says. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, right? Seven times seven, 49 years. Then for 62 weeks, that's 62 times seven. Remember, weeks just means seven. That's 480. Something years, I don't know. You, uh, you guys have calculators. Um, it shall be built again with square and moat, but in a troubled time. Now let me just, before I go on, do you guys know Daniel's in exile in Babylon? 
is, 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 the, the, is Jerusalem, are the walls built, and is the temple standing? Do you guys know? No. The temple is destroyed. The walls are destroyed. Daniel's in Jerusalem, and he's getting a picture that, that one day in the future, the walls will be built, the temple will be rebuilt. So let's talk about the meaning of the prophecy. Gabriel told Daniel that the future 490 years of prophetic events would commence on a certain day. It would all begin, the play button would be pressed on a certain day. And, and, and he gives us the day. He says that when the decree goes out, when a decree is sent to restore and build Jerusalem. Now Daniel would know what this is because has Jerusalem at the time of Daniel been restored? No. Has the temple been built? No. Okay, so he knows once this decree goes out, the, the timer will begin. Okay, picture this like every Mission Impossible movie you have ever seen. Okay, something triggers the countdown, but instead of Tom Cruise, you're going to get Jesus, which is a much better option. Just got to say. You're going to get Jesus. As soon as this decree goes out, the timer will start. Now, here's the thing. Four decrees were issued concerning the restoration of the temple. Cyrus gave a decree in Ezra. Darius gave a decree in Ezra. And Artaxerxes gave two decrees. But three of the four decrees only had to do with the temple, the rebuilding of the temple. Only one of the decrees had to do with the rebuilding of the city and the walls. And this decree is actually found in the book of Nehemiah and confirmed by historians. So let's turn really quick to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Here we see the decree. This is later. Daniel's gone. There's a new king in power, King Artaxerxes, and this is what it says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. So Nehemiah was, was serving as, as the cupbearer for the king. And you guys, I'm, I'm sure you have read this before. And he, he's, he's breaking over Jerusalem. He's like, man, we, we still don't have a, a walls. We're building this temple, but our walls, we're, 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 we're vulnerable to attack. The king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? Okay, the king really respected and loved Nehemiah. And one reason we think that ki the king had a respect for the Jews is because prior to, to Nehemiah was a woman named Esther. You guys remember Esther? Who actually became a queen in Persia. And so she's probably one of the reasons why they had so much respect for the Jews. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's, my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So this is an incredibly important date in the Bible. 
It's an incredibly important date, so important, in fact, that God gave us specifics about this date, and the specifics about this date are actually confirmed in history books. Now, there's a, a, a doctor by Alva McLean, PhD guy, he says this, the date fixed by Nehemiah happens to be one of the best known dates in ancient history. His 20th year would be 445 BC. The month was Nisan, and since no day is given, according to Jewish custom, the date would be understood as the first. So from the going out of this decree to the coming of a Messiah, there would be 69 weeks or 483 years. So here is where we have to pull out our calculators. You guys hanging in there so far? Okay. 483 years, we've got to pull out our calculators here. Uh, here's an equation to figure out when is Messiah going to come. That's what Daniel's wondering. And what Daniel knows is this. Once a decree goes out, the timer starts. 483 years for Messiah to come. Now, wouldn't it be crazy if that actually happened that way? Wouldn't it be crazy if the decree went out, we have the decree in our history books, we can see the date, and then wouldn't it even be crazier if, if 483 years after that decree went out, the Messiah actually came into Jerusalem and was received as a prince, received as a king? Wouldn't that be mind-blowing? So let's do the math here. 69 times 7 times 360. Remember, a Jewish year is 360 days, not 365. Equals 173,880 days. Now, starting with March 14th, 455 BC, which is the decree of Artaxerxes. Every historian knows this. Our Bible confirms it. Every historian knows this. 173,880 days later brings us to April 6, 32 AD. And do you know what happened on April 6, 32 AD? Now, think about this for a second. When in the New Testament, did Jesus enter into Jerusalem as a prince and be received as a king? Do you guys know when in the New Testament did that happen? It was a Passover. Palm Sunday. Think about Jesus's ministry. Every time somebody wanted to reveal Jesus as Messiah, he would say, hold on, it's not my time yet. 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 Time yet. Then comes Palm Sunday right before, five days before his crucifixion. And he does this elaborate move where he grabs a donkey, he comes in riding humbly, and what do the people see when they see Messiah entering the city of Jerusalem? What do they say? They lay down their palm branches and they shout out what? Hosanna to the son of David. They were honoring Jesus in that moment as the prince, as the king. Well, you know what's crazy? Palm Sunday happened exactly 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes. That, three claps is not enough. That, that's insane. Now, some of you are like, oh, I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> I, I, you lost me long, like weeks as years. I, you lost me back there. God said it would happen down to the very day, and it happened. To the very day, Daniel was wondering about the future of his people, and so 
God sent an angel to tell him about the future of his people. And he said, hey, I'm not done with you yet. The Messiah you have been waiting for, the Messiah who will come and fix things, who will make things right, who will restore God's people, who will do away with sin, he is coming. In fact, you want to know when he's coming? He is coming in 173,880 days. Just hang in there. And in exactly that amount of days, here comes Jesus Christ riding on a donkey, entering into to the city of Jerusalem, his triumphal entry. Is your mind blown yet? Because it should be. Now, this was such a massive moment that Jesus said in this moment that if the people didn't cry out to receive him as king, then the rocks would need to cry out. Because all of history was pointing to this. All of these nations, all of these events, everything was happening for this purpose, for Jesus to come in and be recognized and seen, the hope of the world, the Messiah, to come. Now, uh, Dr. Alvin McLean, he also says this about this prophecy. He says, this prophecy of the 70 weeks has an immense evidential value as a witness to the truth of Scripture, that part of the prophecy relating to the first 69 weeks has already been accurately fulfilled. Only an omniscient God could have foretold over 400 years in advance the very day on which the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem and present himself as the Prince of Israel. So, mind-blowing stuff, but it's not over yet. We've talked already about numbers. So now I want to show you guys this prophecy visually, okay? So this is, the, the, this is the, the prophecy visually for you guys to see. This is a chart. Maybe we'll share this with you guys later. Now, I know when you see this at, at first, you're like, oh my gosh, that's way too much to comprehend. So let's break it down. Let's make it very simple. Welcome to class, by the way, everybody. If you need coffee at any time, you need a stretch, you need a bathroom break, don't raise your hand, just do it on your own. Okay, here we go. Greatest of all prophecies. We're going to break this down. I'm going to add some numbers here. So let's read the passage line by line. He says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So what do we see? 70 weeks equals 49 years. 70 times 7. And then we're told six things are going to happen here. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's the, the, the decree of Artaxerxes, and uh, Jerusalem, and the coming of the anointed one, a priest, there shall be seven weeks. That's 49 years. Then for 62 weeks, 62 sevens, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So here, let's break this down really quick. Next slide. So we have 69 weeks, seven weeks, plus 62 weeks, right? And this 69 weeks, 483 years, is broken down into two sections. The timer started on 455 BC at the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. And it took about 49 years for the people to do just that, for the, the city to be rebuilt, for the walls to be rebuilt, for the temple to be rebuilt. But after the city was rebuilt— there was another 434 years, which is, uh, we call this the intertestamental period. Because the last book in the Old Testament, what's it called? Do you guys know? Malachi. 
after the book of Malachi, before the coming of Jesus, there's 400 years of silence that we call the intertestamental period. So this is that 400 years of silence. Jerusalem is restored. They're waiting for a Messiah. 400 years of silence. Then in 32 AD, April 6th, on the dot, this part of the prophecy is fulfilled at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. He comes riding on a donkey. We read, though, that after the 69 weeks, the Messiah is going to be cut off. Okay, that's a death sentence. That means he's going to be killed. So five days after Jesus entered on a donkey, he was crucified at Calvary on, the, on Golgotha, the place of the skull, and nailed to a Roman cross. Jesus died. And after Jesus died, uh, uh, about 60 years later, the, the temple was actually destroyed in 70 AD. We could go ahead and go to the next slide here. 70 AD, which was Jerusalem destroyed. That's why there is no temple in Jerusalem here today. If you go visit Jerusalem, all you'll see is a wall that was part of the foundation of the temple. It's called the Wailing Wall, where you'll see people kind of rocking in front of it and pushing prayers into the crevices of the wall. There is no temple. The Jews are still waiting for a future temple that they, they believe a Messiah will come and build for them. So Jerusalem is restored. Now that is the end of the first part of this prophecy, the 69 weeks. Before the last week though, there is a time that we call the church age or unreckoned time. So when you look at this timeline of the future, where are we on this, this timeline? Do you guys know? We're in the church age. We're in the season of unreckoned time. This is where we live. We're in, in the spot where Jesus said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28. That's our job. Our job right now is to make Jesus known across the whole earth to all Gentiles, everybody who's never heard of Jesus, so that one day when he returns, everybody will one day stand, every tongue, every nation, all people groups will stand before the throne of Jesus, and there will be worship from all nations represented in heaven. And so that's the period that we live in right now, this church age. And we'll remain in this church age until... The next major event which happens, which is the final seven years of this prophecy known as the tribulation. Have you guys heard of that term before? The tribulation is something you read about in the book of Revelation. There, there, there's this, this, there's a beast, there's a, a false prophet, there's, there's this, this time where, where this, this antichrist, and we've, we've had a picture of him already, will wage war against the saints. Well, when will this begin? When will this last seven years happen? Because after the end of these seven years, Jesus comes back. So when, when will we be in the tribulation? Now, people are wondering this all the time because I don't know if you've noticed, but we are living still through unprecedented times. Have you guys noticed that? Some of you have been watching the news and you're like, Jesus, okay, we're ready. Like, we're, come on back. It's time. We're living through crazy times. I don't know when Jesus will return. I don't know when Antichrist will be here. I don't know when all these events of Revelation are here, but there is a clue as to when the seven years, the final week of this prophecy, begins. This is what he says. So after 62 weeks, the anointed will be cut off, and the people of the prince will, will destroy— destroy the city and the sanctuary. We talked about that. Its end shall come with a flood. That means God's people will be dispersed. 
uh, there's a dispersion of the Jews, and to the end there shall be war and desolations are decreed. So what about the last week? And he, now he's talking about a different prince. There are two princes in this prophecy. There's the true prince and the false prince. There's the true Messiah and the false Messiah. There's the real Christ and there's the who? Antichrist. So now he shifts to the Antichrist. The real Christ has come. He has laid down his life. He has been cut off. He's established his church and he's waiting to return again for his people. But in the meantime, there will come an Antichrist, an anti-Messiah, a fake Savior. And this is what it says about him. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. How long is one week? Seven years. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And so what we see here in this last week, this period of tribulation, it will be kicked off the moment the Antichrist, the fake Messiah, makes a covenant with nations and makes a covenant with Jerusalem to protect them and to watch over them and promises their peace. But halfway through this covenant, he's going to turn his back on the people of Israel and he's going to wage war against the saints. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now we talked about this a little bit uh, in, in some of the earlier chapters of Daniel, but the Antichrist, this last event in this prophecy is the seven-year tribulation period. And this doesn't begin until the Antichrist, the second pr prince, makes a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel. And the Antichrist here is seen, what I want you to see here, is seen as a world leader who will confirm a covenant with many for one week or seven years. This will be a treaty, some kind of treaty, with the nation of Israel guaranteeing, granting its protection from nations seeking its annihilation. Now, now is there peace in the Middle East? No. Every time you turn on the news, there's no peace in the Middle East. That's been how history has gone for hundreds of years. Well, one day someone will come promising peace in the Middle East. And he will be a winner. He will be somebody everyone wants to follow. He will be somebody everyone looks up to. He will be somebody everybody votes for, everybody trusts in, everyone wants to get behind. And he will make promises and he will do great things and he will even for a time protect God's people. But in the middle of that protection, after three and a half years, he will turn things around and he will wage war against the saints. And he will be like Antiochus Epiphanes, who we learned about, that, that, the Hitler of the, of the Old Testament, who killed the Jews, trampled on the Bible, burned it in the streets, slaughtered parents, slaughtered pregnant women, slaughtered anyone who was opposed to them, applied economic pressure to make people listen. He will wage war and there will be a great tribulation, great pain, unlike this world has ever seen. That is what Daniel is talking about. Are you guys tracking so far? Jesus talks about this. Matthew 24, verse 15. And I actually, I think I gave you the wrong uh, passage up there. So I'm going to read it from my notes here. Jesus says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet 
Daniel. Did Jesus believe in Daniel's words? Absolutely. When you see this abomination, this antichrist, this anti-messiah, spoken of in advance by Daniel, standing in the holy place, that's the temple, a rebuilt temple, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You thought you were going to be safe. You were trusting in this guy to fix your problems. But now he's flipped the script and he set himself up to be worshipped as God. He's going to oppose and kill and destroy anyone who is against him. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. And no, there never will be anything else like it. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. There he is. Don't believe it. For false Christs, false prophets will arise. We read this in Revelation and perform great signs and great wonders and lead many people astray if possible and even lead God's people astray if possible. So I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This prophecy talked about Jesus' first coming in incredible detail. Now it talks about Jesus' second coming in incredible detail. And what we learn here is that before his second coming, there will be a time of great deception among God's people, where God's people will no longer care about the truth. You see, that's why I preach prophecy. I preach prophecy because even though it's complicated and even though you need a chart and a calculator to figure it out, I want you to know that a time is coming where you will be tempted to deny Jesus Christ you will be tempted to turn your back on the truth of God's word. You will be pressured by society. You will be pressured by rulers. You will be pressured by by people in power to turn your back on God. And if you haven't noticed, you are already being pressured now. You are already being pressured now. The Antichrist, I don't know if he's here or not. We do not know. But the spirit of Antichrist is already alive and well. The Antichrist has a mission God has a purpose and a plan. The Antichrist is already driving his purpose, his mission, (coughs) by taking over whatever he can and and, and sowing in seeds of falsehoods, lies, turning people against God's followers, turning people against Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've noticed this today, but it's not easy already to be a Christian in today's society. And it's only going to get harder and harder and harder and harder until eventually it's illegal. And eventually you're going to have to have a choice. Will you build your life on Jesus Christ? Or will you just follow the popular opinion of the day? Will you trust the Bible if you've ever wondered, can I trust this thing? I just showed you a prophecy that was true down to the very day. Show me another book in in anywhere in the world that does that. The reality is there's none. None. This is it. If you think there's something else out there, something else like this, there is nothing else on the planet like this. God's word is true. And you are going to be tested as to whether or not you believe it's truth. 
Some of you who are young in here today, you're already being tested. You're already giving in. You're already turning your back because of something, some new trend or some new belief or some new whatever. And I wanna encourage you, start now. Hold your ground now. Be ready. So just quick application, wrap this thing up. I'm over on time. Three things I want you to see about this prophecy and about this text. If the Bible says it, it's true. The Bible says it, you can believe it is true. Our world is confused right now when it comes to truth. Don't be afraid of the truth of scripture. Be gentle with it. Don't be a jerk about it. Be loving to others, but don't compromise the truth. Number two, history, I want you to see, has a happy ending. It feels right now like, oh my gosh, things are gonna get worse. Things are never gonna get better. This prophecy shows that they will get better but it's gonna get worse first. It's gonna get worse before it gets better, but there is a happy ending because Jesus will one day return. Jesus will one day establish a new heaven, new earth, a new Jerusalem. Jesus will reign in power and authority and everything that we hate about this world, pain and death and crying and war and conflict and everything that's broken in society will one day be fixed at the return of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? All of history is driving in that direction. And finally, need to be ready. Some of you aren't ready. You're not ready because you're already turning your back on the truth of God's word. You're already just bored of God's word. You're already saying, you know what? No, I believe it, but I'm not gonna let Jesus have this area of my life. That's not, that's not living under the truth. Living under the truth is saying, you know what? I wanna do my relationships the way you want me to do relationships. I wanna do my finances the way you want me to do finances. I want, you, I want to do parenting the way you want me to do parenting. I want to follow your truth, respond to your truth. Your truth will reign in my life. Are you ready? And if you guys need help with that, we have, we have all kinds of ways to help you with that, including a membership class you guys just heard about, December 9th or October 9th, not December. If you want to learn more about our church and the truths that we believe and the truths that we're about, and you want to come and help us and support us, sign up today to become a member. Go to our class and get behind us and help us be about proclaiming the truth here in Lemoore, across Kings County and across the globe, because that is our mission. We have a mission to fulfill and we're not done until Jesus comes back. Can I get an amen? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for a complicated passage of scripture where you reveal some of the most amazing truths about history. And I just ask God that we would be a people who are ready, that we would respond to your leading, that we would respond to your truth. Even though this is challenging at times, that we would come under you, trust you, and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.